Hello and welcome back to the Killer Kind Podcast. I hope you're doing well. We're slowly getting into my favorite time of the year. College football has started back. And if you're from the South, then you get it. Husbands and wives start to argue if it's too early to decorate for fall. And no, it's not. (laughs) But also, it's time that school starts back for a lot of people. And a high school outside of Boston, Massachusetts is where our case takes place today. So... I want to go ahead and apologize to all my teacher friends that are listening to the episode today. It's going to be a tough one. So consider this your warning. But with that said, let's just go ahead and get into today's episode. The murder of Colleen Ritzer. Colleen Ritzer was born on May 13th, 1989. She grew up in Lawrence, Massachusetts, which is about 45 minutes outside of Boston, where she lived with her parents, Tom and Peggy Ritzer, as well as her younger siblings, Laura and Daniel. She attended Andover High School, which was your typical public high school, averaging about 1,500 students each year. Colleen went on to attend Assumption University, a private Catholic university in Worcester, Massachusetts, where she received her undergraduate degree in education. She got a job as a ninth grade algebra teacher at Danvers High School in 2012, pretty soon after she graduated, and she loved it. It's a local high school that averages about a thousand students each year. And fun fact, I didn't necessarily realize this when I first started looking into this case, but they mentioned it on Murder with My Husband podcast. The city of Danvers was formerly known as Salem Village, where the Salem witch trials took place back in 1692. And side note, My husband and I are going to Boston in September and we'll be visiting Salem. So I'll be learning a lot more about the witch trials and just more about the Salem history as well. So I'm excited, if you can be excited, to learn about the dark history of this area. Now Danvers also has even more of a dark history. It has been home to one of the state's 19th century psychiatric hospitals. So, needless to say, the city of Danvers gives me the creeps already. And today's episode only adds to that dark history, which we will get into. But let's continue talking about Colleen. So, Colleen Ritzer went on to continue her education after starting her job at Danvers High School. She went to Salem State University to work towards her master's in education. She loved teaching and she wanted to be the best teacher that she could be. And everyone in Colleen's life loved her, including her co-workers and her students. She was interactive with her students on Twitter. She would post math trivia or games. She would tweet about Taylor Swift. She wanted to be relatable to her students, and she really was. She was just so nice and was known to go above and beyond for everyone. But would her kindness ultimately lead to her death? On Tuesday, October 22nd, 2013, it was a normal day for 24-year-old Colleen. She would typically be done teaching for the day at around 2 p.m. 
And then she would stay until three or so and help any students that were struggling because she basically offered a tutoring class from two to three. And on this particular day, she noticed her student, Philip Chisholm, had been struggling a little bit in her eighth period math class. He was new to the school and new to the area, so Colleen asked Philip to stay after school that day so she could talk to him and hopefully help him out a little bit. Now, let me give you a little bit more backstory on Philip. So, he had recently moved from Clarksville, Tennessee due to his parents' divorce. He and his mother moved into the basement of his aunt's house in Danvers, Massachusetts, And supposedly, he had already moved around a few times previously. So, here we have this 14-year-old boy moving once again to an unknown city after his parents' divorce. So, no one was surprised that he was struggling in this class. He had a lot going on. Too much for a 14-year-old. That said, he had joined the soccer team and was putting himself out there to make friends and get more involved. So he was making an effort, but again, still struggling with his schoolwork. So Philip gets to Colleen's classroom shortly after 2 p.m. because she had asked him to stay. It's unclear what all was said between the two, but there was another student, either inside the classroom or close by, that witnessed Philip and Colleen talking, and she noticed that towards the end of the conversation, Philip became upset. He appeared mad, in fact, like angry. The student who witnessed the conversation claimed to hear Colleen asking Philip about his home life back in Tennessee, and that's when Philip's attitude changed. Colleen quickly tried to change the subject, realizing she obviously struck a nerve with her student. So, Colleen and Philip appeared to go their separate ways at around 2.45 p.m. The school day isn't quite over. There are still lots of teachers and students on the campus, Several students are headed to their various extracurricular activities that take place after school, and the teachers are likely getting stuff together for the next day, grading papers and other things like that. I have family and friends that are teachers, so I know there's a lot of late days. They don't just stay till 3 o'clock and go home. (laughs) Now, with that said, Philip Chisholm was supposed to go to soccer practice that afternoon, but he never showed up. The coach didn't think too much about it because Philip was new to the school. He hadn't really made many friends yet. So although nobody could vouch for where he was, there was nobody to say if it was out of character for him to skip practice or what. Now, the afternoon turns into the evening and Philip is nowhere to be found. His mother, Diana, becomes increasingly worried about her son knowing that he should have been home at least by dinner time. So, where was he? At 6.43 p.m., Philip's mom calls the local police department and reports her son missing. She knew something had been wrong, or there had to be something wrong. There was no reason for him not to be home right after school, or at least within an hour to two hours after. So, police start to search for Philip. Shortly after starting their search for the missing 14-year-old student, the Danvers Police Department received another call about a potential missing person. Tom and Peggy Ritzer started getting worried when calls to their daughter were going unanswered. Again, it was getting close to dinner time, and Colleen was 
always home by then or at least had let somebody know that she was going to be late or when she was going to be home. Because at the time, she was still living with her parents. So obviously, they have every right to be concerned about where she was. Before calling the police, though, Tom did go up to the high school to look for his daughter. He thought maybe she was stuck working late. She either hadn't checked her phone or maybe it had died and she wasn't able to let them know. So he gets to the high school and sees Colleen's car in the parking lot. And at first he's relieved, thinking his suspicions were true. So he goes inside the school and heads towards her classroom. Once he gets there, he realizes she's not in her room. So he starts asking anyone he can if they've seen Miss Ritzer, and no one had. Not since earlier that day. So at this point, he starts calling Colleen's friends to see if anyone knew where she was or to see if she had made plans with anyone. Ultimately, no one had seen or heard from Colleen since earlier that afternoon. Now at 8 p.m. that night, the principal of Danvers High School sends out a mass email to parents and teachers explaining that one of their students is missing, 14-year-old Philip Chisholm. At this point, nobody knows that Colleen appears to be missing as well. So the principal sends out an email saying they're going to conduct a search for Philip in and around the school, asking if anyone would like to come and join. Shortly after that email was sent out, the principal received yet another call about a missing person. This time, it was about Colleen Ritzer. Needless to say, the principal was shocked. And it didn't take long for word to get out and everyone to start speculating that the two missing persons cases were possibly connected. It's unclear if that's how police were treating it at first as well, but their main priority was the underage student. This took precedent over the 24-year-old teacher because Philip was a minor. And that makes sense. That's understandable. That said, though, there were people out looking for Colleen. But as we know from experience, police don't jump on a missing adult case like they do a missing child. Which, again, I understand. But I don't fully agree with. Anyways. Investigators start with Philip's cell phone. The goal is to track his phone and hopefully track him down as well. And to their surprise, his cell phone is on, and it was currently pinging near the local movie theater. So immediately they rush over to the movie theater and start looking around for Philip. But he is nowhere to be found. They ask employees working there as well as check security footage at the theater, and it was clear that he had been there pretty recently. And he was seen on footage entering the movie theater, walking around, He is seen going into the theater to watch a movie, and then he leaves. They're relieved to see him alive, obviously, but they're also confused because he's there by himself. There's no sign of Colleen or anyone else with him. Again, there is speculation at this point that Colleen and Philip are together. So if she isn't with him at the theater, then where is he and where is she? They're also confused as to why he's been ignoring calls and texts from his mom when he's just at the movies like a normal kid. But where could he be now? He couldn't have gone far, so several officers conducted a search around the theater. And while they're searching at the theater, there is still a group of investigators at the school, and they are looking around the school for any sign of Philip or the missing teacher. 
They're searching classrooms as well as bathrooms, trying to pull security footage. And in classic security footage history, we know the cameras weren't working, (laughs) at least not initially. Danvers had just gotten a whole brand new security system with over 140 cameras throughout the school. The only problem was it was all connected to old computers, plus nothing was labeled. So the school officer that was tasked with pulling the footage said everything kept freezing up, and since nothing was labeled, he didn't even know which cameras to look at first. But he was trying. (laughs) In the meantime, during the search of one of the school bathrooms near Colleen's classroom, things start to take a scary turn when they find blood smears inside one of the stalls. Now, apparently it wasn't a large amount of blood, but it was still alarming. Supposedly, the janitor had already come through and cleaned the bathroom. Once again, of course they did, which wasn't good for police. However, they were pretty sure if there was a lot of blood in that bathroom, the janitor would have alerted someone, at least we would hope, and he hadn't done that. So maybe it wasn't something to worry about, but I'm sure the vibe just sort of shifted at least, and I'm sorry to those that hate the word vibe. (laughs) Um, Not long after the blood was found inside the bathroom, someone outside found a purse near the school. It was just kind of lying on the ground, and pretty quickly, they were able to determine that the purse belonged to Colleen. Although her wallet and keys were still missing, not far from the purse were a few pieces of clothing, some black women's shoes, and some soccer cleats, all right there together. Now, if you remember, Philip played soccer. So once again, it's not looking too good for Colleen or Philip. Police are worried what they might find next because it's becoming clear that something bad has definitely happened to either Colleen and Philip or one or the other. And sure enough, the case takes a horrific turn. More disturbing evidence is found near a wooded area by the school. Police find a pair of yellow rubber gloves with blood on them. A handwritten note that read, I hate all of you, as well as a recycling bin. A few feet away, police find a school backpack with Philip Chisholm's ID inside. And not far from all of that, police find a big pile of leaves. And sadly, they uncover the body of Colleen Ritzer. It was clear that she had been brutally attacked. She had mud and dirt all over her body, as well as several cuts on her neck. Her shirt had been pulled up, and she was naked from the waist down and left in a suggestive position. So let's recap really quick, shall we? We have a 24-year-old female teacher and a 14-year-old male student that go missing on the same day after school on Tuesday, October 22nd. Initially, this is treated as two separate incidents, but slowly police as well as others in the community start to believe that the two were likely connected somehow. 
And since this is a male and female situation, I'm sure the rumor mill ran wild for the short amount of time that they had. And that said, I highly doubt anyone thought this would end in a horrific murder. Colleen's body is found sometime around midnight that night. And at that point, Philip is still missing. Although a few items belonging to the student have been found along with items belonging to Colleen. So now they frantically continue the search for Philip. They're thinking, where's Philip? Is he okay? Is he alive? And what the hell happened here? And since the two missing persons were still being treated as separate cases, when police came over the radio that a body was found near Danvers High School, other officers were thinking that it could be the missing student. However, sometime between 12.30 a.m. and 1 a.m., a patrol officer finds Philip Chisholm walking down a nearby highway about 15 minutes from Danvers High School. He was found walking alone, wearing a drawstring backpack and a hoodie. When asked where he was going, he said, nowhere. The officer asked him about the backpack, and he said he was carrying survival items. So needless to say, at that point, police decided to search Philip's backpack. And what they found inside was chilling. They found a box cutter a pair of bloody women's underwear, and all of the missing items from Colleen's purse. This is obviously alarming to the officer, so he asks where he got all of these things. And Philip initially says that he broke into her car at a gas station nearby and stole it all. However, we know that Colleen's car never left the school that day, so that can't be true. But Either way, the robbery doesn't explain the box cutter and the bloody underwear. So he has asked where he got those two items specifically. And Philip replies with the girl. And that's all he says. So this is where all of the disturbing pieces slowly start to come together. Philip is obviously taken down to the police station and On the early morning hours of October 23rd, officers at the school finally are able to pull the footage from the cameras near Colleen's room, and that is what really paints a clear picture of just what happened between Colleen and Philip. So let's get into the security footage. I'll put a link to the footage in the show notes, so be sure to check that out. Maybe Pull that up while you're listening to the podcast if you can, so that you can get a good visual. So going back to the conversation between Colleen and Philip inside her classroom sometime around 2.30 p.m. on that Tuesday. A student witnessed the conversation and was able to determine that Philip's attitude immediately changed after Miss Ritzer started asking about Tennessee. About 15 minutes later, at 2.45 p.m., Colleen can be seen leaving her classroom, and we can see that she heads towards the women's bathroom just down the hall. A minute or two later, Philip is seen walking out of that same classroom and looking down the hallway. You can tell he sort of hesitates, kind of paces around for a few seconds, then goes back inside the room. Then he comes back out into the hallway, 
this time with his hood up over his head, and he walks towards the direction of the women's bathroom. As he's walking down the hall, he can be seen pulling out a pair of rubber gloves from his pockets, and he enters the women's bathroom. A minute or two later, another student can be seen walking into the bathroom and immediately turning around and walking back out. That student would later testify that she saw clothes on the floor and thought she had walked in on someone changing. We find out later that Philip walked into the women's bathroom and choked his teacher. He stabbed her in the neck 16 times. After she was down on the ground unconscious, Philip sexually assaults her, and it's as he's pulling his pants up that another student walks in. Now, we can tell on the security footage that a female student walks into the bathroom, and she would later testify that she saw clothes on the floor and thought she was just walking in on someone changing, and that poor girl Knowing what we know now, I'm sure she feels horrible that she didn't do something or is probably thankful that he didn't do the same thing to her. I can only imagine what sort of like mental damage this has done. But shortly after the student walks out, Philip appears to follow her out of the bathroom and he looks sort of shaken up, probably freaking out because he almost got caught. But he goes back inside the bathroom after making sure the student was gone, I'm sure. And at 3.07 p.m., we can see Philip leaving the bathroom with some clothing items in his hands. No longer wearing the gloves, but he still has his blue hood up over his head. He leaves the school briefly. Then at 3.09 p.m., he is seen running through the halls without his blue sweatshirt on. He goes back into Colleen's classroom and comes out at 3.11 p.m. with two backpacks, a lunchbox, and a red sweatshirt, this time over his head. He goes outside again briefly, then comes back into the school without the bags, but now with the red sweatshirt fully on. He can be seen pulling a recycling bin at 3.16 p.m., And as he's walking inside the women's bathroom, he is seen wearing a black ski mask, again, with the recycling bin in tow. At 3.22 p.m., he is coming out of that bathroom wearing a black mask around his nose and mouth without the red sweatshirt this time. He is seen going into an elevator and exiting the school, still pulling the recycling bin. He can be seen passing by a few different people pulling the recycling bin, and nobody interacts with him. Security footage shows him pulling the recycling bin in the parking lot, heading towards that wooded area that butts up to the parking lot, ultimately where police found the body of Colleen. And sadly, the district attorney would later state that Colleen was likely still alive when she was inside that recycling bin. She was more than likely just unconscious. It also came out during the trial that Philip caused more harm to Miss Ritzer's body physically and sexually while out into the woods. I'd rather not get into that, but you get the idea. This kid is clearly disturbed. 
The cause of death was determined to be loss of blood. So she was on the verge of death while in the bin and while out in the woods, ultimately losing too much blood and losing her life. Philip is seen entering the school again shortly before 4 p.m., this time barefoot, with just his t-shirt and jeans on. And in the footage, you can tell there is blood on his pants. Like, you can actually see the blood smears on his pants. At 4.02 p.m., he enters a men's room and changes into a black hoodie and some basketball shorts, still barefoot. This time, he is carrying a white Nike backpack, and he heads out to the parking lot and can be seen talking to a couple of male students who also happen to be barefoot, which is kind of weird, but apparently they talk for a few minutes. Some reports had said that Philip told these students not to go back inside the school, which was odd, and it's not clear, it's never stated that I could find why he would have said this, but we do know that a few minutes later, security footage shows him entering the school now with shoes on. He grabs a red backpack that he wears over the white Nike backpack, and seems to wander around for a while, and finally at 4.30 p.m., he leaves the school. That is when he heads to the movie theater, and a Wendy's receipt was found inside one of the backpacks, so we know that he went to Wendy's after the movie theater, and then apparently he just walks around town after that, not knowing what to do, I'm sure. Philip was brought in for questioning, and ultimately explained everything that happened. He and the police went through the entire timeline, and he even corrected them at times when going over certain details. Detectives conducting the interview said his demeanor was very calm throughout the entire interview, which is a little chilling to think about. Philip Chisholm was charged with first-degree murder, robbery, and rape occurring inside the bathroom as well as a second rape charge for the incident that occurred in the woods. In January 2014, he pleaded not guilty to the charges against him. He was taken to the Metro Youth Service Center in Dorchester while he waited his trial. It's this is a like a government facility for youth charged with adult crimes including murder waiting to be moved to another jail or prison. The fact that a place like that has to exist makes me more scared of the world than I already am. Anyways, continuing. (laughs) On June 2nd, 2014, Philip Chisholm, once again, attacks yet another person. This time, it was a 29-year-old female guard at the facility he was being held at, He was studying in the commons area. He apparently slipped off his shoes so that he couldn't be heard walking behind the guard. He follows her into a staff locker room, and when she spots him, he immediately starts to choke her and hits her in the face and head multiple times. She is able to scream for help, and Philip is caught, and luckily she survived. She sustained bruising to her face, and it was determined that Philip did try to stab her with his pencil, but thankfully it did not work. Following this separate attack, it was announced that he would be tried as an adult in the Colleen Ritzer trial, and he was being charged with attempted murder now and would be charged as an adult in that case for the attack on the guard. 
The trial for Colleen Ritzer's murder started on November the 16th, 2015. There was obviously no denying that Philip Chisholm killed his teacher, so the defense tried to come up with a reason as to why he would have done this. And their argument was that he had a mental illness and was in a state of psychosis at the time of the murder. Now, the second attack that took place in 2014 wasn't able to be used or discussed in the in Colleen's trial, which to me would have made it much harder for the defense to use this argument. But since that attack couldn't be used as evidence against him, the defense team used that as their argument, and the state basically ripped it apart, saying he knew exactly what he was doing. His whole demeanor from the time of the murder, video of him walking around the school, eyewitness testimony, as well as interviews conducted by police, the entire time he was calm. He explained everything very well, meaning he was fully aware of his actions from the time the murder took place up until he was interviewed by police. He knew right from wrong. There was no denying that in the state's argument. A couple of different psychiatrists did take the stand in Philip's defense, and they explained that child psychosis can occur after a big life event or after the child has been triggered by something, like possibly the conversation that Colleen and Philip had about his previous home life. That said, he did have a psych evaluation prior to trial, and they found him competent enough to stand trial. So clearly he wasn't too mentally unstable. During the trial, the prosecution called on friends and family of Philip to discuss his character and prove what kind of person he really was. And prior to moving to Massachusetts, he was completely normal. He had no history of violence. He was the number one scorer on his soccer team. He was known as a popular and outgoing kid. But after the move, he was a little more shy and reserved. But that's understandable because he didn't know anyone and he was going through a hard time with his family. But at the same time, some friends on the soccer team at Danvers said they noticed his attitude shift leading up to the murder. And that's what prosecutors sort of focused on, trying to prove that this one conversation between a student and his teacher didn't make him just flip out and murder her. Like, could there have been signs or something leading up to this? Prosecutors argued that this was planned. We still don't know what caused his attitude to change necessarily and why he chose Colleen, but... They felt that it was obvious when he walked into school on that Tuesday in October, he had a plan to murder someone that day because he came in with a couple of different outfits as well as some rubber gloves and a box cutter. The defense tried to argue that he had a psychotic break or a psychotic episode. However, the prosecutors pointed out that he had a totally normal conversation with some of the other teammates immediately after the murder. Those students said that he told them not to go back inside the school, but other than that, it was a completely normal conversation. They made plans for the weekend and just talked about random things. They saw no sign that anything was wrong with Philip, certainly no sign that he was in the middle of a psychotic break, and certainly wouldn't have thought that he had just committed this heinous crime. Now, prosecutors did kind of throw in why they thought Philip murdered Colleen specifically. 
And they claimed that the reason for the murder was so that Philip could have sexual relations with his teacher. I'm I'm not sure if I fully agree with that, but obviously it's hard to disagree as well. After four weeks of hearing testimony, 17 jurors went in for deliberation on December 15, 2015. They took a total of 10 hours over the course of two days to come to their conclusion. And jurors found Philip Chisholm guilty of first-degree felony murder, as well as armed robbery for stealing her credit card and underwear, and one count of aggravated rape. He was found not guilty of the second charge of aggravated rape, which took place with an object out in the woods, solely because the jury believed that Colleen was dead by the time her body was taken out to the woods, which means that had the charge been sexual abuse of a corpse, he would have been found guilty. That is just very frustrating to me. It's like, because it's not worded a certain way, he can't be charged with it. Oh, that's so frustrating. But Philip was sentenced to 15 to 25 years to life for the murder charge, 40 years for the armed robbery, and 40 years as well for the aggravated rape charge. He is eligible for parole after 25 years for the murder charge, but since he's serving time for the other charges as well, he won't be eligible for parole until he's about 54 years old. And all that's a little confusing to me. I couldn't find anywhere that explained it well enough for me to understand, but basically he was tried as an adult, but sentenced like a minor. Again, does not make sense. It's very frustrating, but just know that when Philip Chisholm is 54 years old, he could be let out of prison. In 2016, Colleen's parents filed a lawsuit in Lawrence Superior Court against the town, the Danvers School Department as well, and the contracted cleaning company with the department. They filed a wrongful death lawsuit against them all for obvious reasons. They were seeking answers to how a 14-year-old is allowed to roam around a school for two hours after school was over allowed to carry a recycling bin around the school and out past the parking lot, knowing he passed multiple faculty members. Plus, we know the janitors cleaned the bathroom after Philip murdered Colleen. They would have certainly found more blood than what police found. And what, they just cleaned it up like it was nothing to be concerned about? Plus, there is no security in the school either. There's tons of security cameras, but... That does you no good if there is no one there to watch them, or at the very least, keep an eye out for somebody sketchy. In a court document released to the public, it said, if awarded compensation, the family said it would be used to enhance school safety programs and to contribute to the legacy of Colleen Ritzer through third-party nonprofit organizations. It went on to say that the plaintiffs seek no personal benefit by way of personal financial compensation from this lawsuit. And as of today, the day I'm recording this, August 26, 2022, the family did settle with the cleaning company. Both parties came to an agreement. The amount that the two settled on has not been released to the public. And in a statement by the Ritzer family, they did receive answers to several questions they had as a result of the litigation. 
They said, quote, school security is of paramount to the Ritzers. And through the Colleen E. Ritzer Memorial Foundation, they will continue to emphasize the importance of improving school security for students and teachers. And that is the Colleen Ritzer case. Wow, what a hard one to talk about. A beautiful young teacher being kind to her students, going above and beyond for them. And then one decides to take her life. It's one of those things that's just kind of hard to wrap your head around too, because he was 14. How does a 14-year-old boy, especially one that showed no signs of violence like this before, do something like this? It's just terrifying, honestly. As always, I would love to know your thoughts on today's episode, so head over to the Instagram page and leave your thoughts on the episode post. And since I'm already in the fall mode, you already know I'm thinking of Halloween early. It's my favorite time of year, okay? Give me a break. But it's already been decided over on the Instagram page that you guys want to hear an episode on conspiracy theories. So please shoot me your favorite conspiracy theory that you either believe in or just love to hear people talk about. Don't you have those where it's like, that's crazy. That's not real. I know that. But gosh, I love to hear people talk about it. (laughs) Like, I want to believe it, but it's so ridiculous that I can't. You know what I mean? But my plan is to discuss a few different ones in one episode. Depending on how that goes, I might make it a two-part episode. So let me know your thoughts on that. But don't worry, I'll put out a regular Halloween-themed episode as well. But I need to start prepping for that now because fall is the busiest time of my life. And as you can tell, I struggled to get this episode out this week. I don't know why. It was just crazy. But that'll do it for me this week. So send over your conspiracy theory requests or recommendations and I will start working on that. That'll do it for me this week, guys. I'll be back here in two weeks with a brand new episode. Until then, stay safe. Bye, guys.